Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Tom Wisniewski. Tom is a co-founder and managing partner of Newark Venture Partners, a $100 million venture fund based in downtown Newark, New Jersey. MVP is backed by Amazon, RWJ, Barnabas, Prudential, and a number of other notable investors, entrepreneurs, and politicians. He's a member of the New York Angels, and he previously founded Rose Paul Ventures, which has a portfolio of 20-plus tech startups and investments in notable venture funds, such as Graycroft Ventures, FF Venture Capital, ERA Accelerator. And notable investments include Pond5, LiveLook, which was acquired by Oracle, Canvas, which was acquired by AOL. And Tom has an MBA from Dartmouth and a BA in physics from Clark University. So guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation. Uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know we're doing a mini-series on how to raise money for your ideas through relationship building. And uh, so Tom is clearly an expert in these things and I can't wait to jump into this conversation with him. But first, really quickly, if you're listening to this right now and you are an accredited investor yourself and you kind of want to get in on some of these tech companies that you keep hearing about all the time, we have a couple of spots open in our pre-seed round for Guestio, which is our Cameo for Podcasters software that we built recently to connect podcast hosts with amazing guests for their show. 
um, and to do that in a much more efficient way than it's being done right now. So if you have any interest at all in doing that, we're trying to raise just a couple hundred thousand dollars more for that uh, before we close up the round. And if you have any interest in that, just shoot me an email over Travis at TravisChapel.com and we will set up a time. I'll send over the deck and we'll talk more details at that point. Accredited investors only at this time, Travis at TravisChapel.com. Tom, what is up? Thanks so much for taking the time to join hey. on the show. Good, good to be here. Good to meet you. You're, you've approached me on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, one that I spend my uh, entire life thinking about recently and uh, is the bread and butter of what I do. Awesome. Well, I am stoked to get into that then. Um, let's talk before we get into specifics and details. Let's talk a little bit about context and story here. So talk to me a little bit about how you even got into these things. Was this something that was always a big part of you and your family growing up? Or, or what was that like? Let's go, rewind the clock back to like high school years. Like did you, was this any of this so, radar? Uh, then? Uh, I've been an entrepreneur kind of my entire life. Uh, I read a couple of things about you and your uh, landscaping business. I had a, I had a landscaping business and a uh, contracting business when I was in high school. Uh, yes. My father was an architect and we never hired contractors, so I learned how to build and fix anything. Nice. So I started a business doing that after school and on summers. So I did, you know, fixed porches, put in doors, tiled bathrooms, that kind of stuff. So always been that kind of a uh, entrepreneurial, you know, soul. When I got out of uh, business, excuse me, when I got out of uh, college with a physics degree, I realized I didn't want to do that. I joined a, uh, uh, an investment bank to learn about business. After business school, I joined a startup, um, which was in management consulting. Uh, so I stayed there about seven years and you know, learned a lot in the discipline of, of business. But at the same time, we were growing a firm from startup to about 1,500 people. And then that, I became a partner there and we sold the firm at the height of the dot-com boom. Um, along the way, I spent. I had venture capital clients. It was the dot com era, so I got very exposed to new technologies, disruptive technologies, startups, and all that. How they can work and how they don't work, and some of the good things and bad things about that era. The next decade, I spent in and around venture capital, investing my own money and my own time uh, in companies that I liked or in companies that needed help. And I started actively investing in uh, seed stage technology companies somewhere in like the mid 2000s. It grew from a sideline to a full time job uh, starting in about 2009. So I've been at it full time in one capacity or another uh, since 2009. Wow. So crazy, crazy timeline here. I want to go back uh, just because you kind of glossed over over a couple of things that I want to make sure we kind of pull out here. Sure. And that was right after you graduated with a degree in physics, you at that point decided, I don't want to do this thing that I just spent the last four years getting a degree yes. in. I feel like it's, it's worth coming back and highlighting that because I think that a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people just get their degree and then they go, well, you know, I'm in it now. You know, I've, I spent four years and, you know, whatever it is, 80 grand in student debt getting this degree. So may as well pursue this path, even though I have no desire to continue doing that. And uh, you didn't do that. You decided to do something different. Do you? Do you? Can you like put your back, put yourself back in the? Yeah. yeah. So, so I I came into uh, college being you know kind of a science math guy. I am much more of an introvert by nature than uh, an extrovert, analytical type. You know, and uh, so doing science just sort of fit for me. I picked the one I thought was the hardest and the most interesting, and that was at the time physics. I ended up with a, a, a dual degree in physics philosophy and a minor in math. 
I always wanted to do something physics when I got out, but I realized that with an undergraduate degree, there are just very limited opportunities out there and they just didn't seem that interesting. Mm. And the idea of going back for four more years and getting a PhD, which maybe could have opened up opportunities, just did not excite me. What I found was that I liked the subject matter of physics, but no one I was working with I had much affinity for, right? After you were done with that degree and you realized that wasn't what you want to do, you said you got into investment banking. So was that just like a, hey, knock on the door until I get a job and then go back to business? I I did a lot of knocking on doors trying to figure out what I could do. I happened to have some friends who were a lot more organized than I would and had gone to Wall Street. I knew nothing about Wall Street, but it seemed interesting. Luckily at the time they were hiring people uh, that they just thought were smart and they would teach them. So I did technology work, in fact. And the sum total of my experience with technology before then was one computer science course at college. The sum total of my business experience was one economics course. So I found an opportunity kind of through the back door to learn about a new area and, uh, you know, in banking and companies and finance. Awesome. Awesome. And then that's when you decided, hey, I should probably learn a little bit more about this, and then you went back to business school at that point? Yeah, at that point, I just became jazzed with the idea of uh, a business. I mean, I always knew I wanted to be kind of an entrepreneur, a business person, someone who was making and selling things. The caliber of people you meet at a place like Morgan Stanley, where I were is just incredibly high. Yeah. I, I learned about various paths. I did also determine that banking just still felt a little too restricted to me. I wanted to build a company or run all aspects of it. Um, and business school was a way to rebrand myself and learn, um, you know, as a, as a liberal undergrad degree holder, a lot of things about business and set me set myself up for that kind of a transition. Coming out of there, I, I did not, or going in, I did not know what I wanted to do coming out, but I you know, went through the recruiting process and ended up choosing to go into uh, a startup that was a management consulting firm, a spinoff from McKinsey. Got it. So how, what was the stage of that startup when you joined them? Yeah. So this would have been, you know, probably, you know, if you were going to do put it in startup language, it would have been a series B or something like that. Okay. But it wasn't. It was a professional services firm. So it's different than tech. Sure. So a group of, of 30 consultants from McKinsey in, in the, the financial services and technology areas had spun out. They had set up a firm, grow, doubled it in size, and were now actively recruiting in you know, young talent, which I was sort of young and, and malleable. And I arrived, but right around when I arrived, we led kind of a buyout. And that's, that's what really became the firm. So as part of this group that made a choice to do something even more entrepreneurial, you know, and uh, so was probably employee, maybe 60 or 70 there. Okay. And by the time I left, it was we were probably at fifteen hundred professionals and probably more than two thousand people. And this was the one that sold at the height of the dot com era. Yes, okay. yes. So we, you know, it wasn't a tech exit, but we were a management consulting firm um, that sold to another management consulting firm. You know, for a decent amount of money. They were public at the time, so it was that kind of a transaction. And yeah. it didn't make me fabulously wealthy, but it, it it gave me a taste for what this can be like. And it also proved to me that I didn't want to be an advisor or consultant. I was interested in running things. And so I chose not to go back into consulting at that point. I chose to look for things in venture and, and, and around there. Yeah. So what was the next thing that you did after that? Was there like a time period of, you know, like a respite at all? Or? Yeah. I mean, all throughout the last two or three years I was there, I was networking to try and figure out what I wanted to do. You know, how can I take this 
knowledge I have and translate it into starting a business or joining a business, right? I was very much a generalist in a lot of ways. And I knew I could do these all these things, but trying to find the right one at the right time was something that it, you know, was actively I was pursuing along the way. And I left. I took a year off to think through things, do some, do some personal stuff. But knowing pretty much where I was going to go, I joined uh, uh, one of the first internet incubators um, at the time. That was a word people didn't even know. Sure. It was one yeah. called Idea Lab that people were familiar with. And the one I joined was called Walker Digital. Uh, Jay Walker was the founder of Priceline. So he was one of the newly minted, you know, uh, internet billionaires. This was his think tank where he tried to spawn the next, you know, Priceline or, or set up business. And I worked there for, uh, for a period of time. Yeah, got it. Okay. So obviously so many things that have happened throughout your career and now, and so that would have been what, early 2000s at that point? Yes. Mm-hmm. So then is that when you started kind of, like you mentioned that it started a little bit on the side. Is that when you started to do a little bit of that angel investing or like that early stage startup funding? I was close to that, but not quite. Okay. It, 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 I was in New York setting the scene. This is the aftermath of the dot-com crash. Venture in New York basically just went bust, yeah. right? There was very little activity going on in it. I actually, my work was actually working with investors that had zombie portfolios and trying to find companies that were worth something. Wow. Uh, and then I migrated upstream into larger companies in private equity, doing this advisory work, you know, helping figure out how to change companies, operate them the strategy. And it was around then, as I was doing that work, that I missed the world of venture. And I started, I looked around for opportunities to do some investment, uh, and I found New York Angels, right? And that was my starting point for beginning, uh, you know, seed stage tech investing. Got it. So, I mean, I, I love spending a little bit of time in the story context here because I think it's super valuable. But uh, to kind of move the conversation along into more sure. tactics here, I, I got to ask this one to start because it's the question I've asked every single guest that's ever come on the show, uh, just to kind of get this relationship, you know, building conversation, moving in the right direction. Do you view who you know or what you know as being the more valuable asset in life, Tom, and why? I'm a yin yang person. Uh, I would answer that question yes, because they're. You can't do, can't be successful without both both of them. If you communicate, but you have nothing to communicate or not enough substance of what you know and what you bring, you're not going to succeed. But if you know a lot of things and you don't know how to communicate and how to network, you're not going to get very far. First, that would be my base answer. Sure. So I was going to be a little more truthful to myself. I would say I come from the more introverted side of I value what I know, right? And I do that really well. And I had to learn how to be a better networker and a better communicator in order to be successful. So, so let's talk about that then. What were some of the things that you did to try to become a better networker, try to become a better communicator, try to build relationships better? What were some of the things that you look back on as saying, you know what, that was probably a good use of my time? I think the first one is realizing who you are. It sounds so stupid, what you're good at, and what you're not, right? Oh, um, so and, then, and then looking around and realizing there's, there's, there's something you can learn from everybody you interact with. I didn't quite get to that mindset, understanding it that way until I was probably 25, right? But I was doing it before then. But very explicitly at that point, I I started to think about, and I was doing management consulting, I'm good at this stuff, the solving of the problems. I'm not as good at with people, you know, as naturally. I can do it, right? So recognizing that, I just looked to the people I thought were great at it and said, what are they doing? And someone arrogantly said, if they can do it, I can do it too. I just need to understand what they're doing 
why they're doing it, what the mindset is, and I can get better at this. Now, I love that you started with you got to know yourself first because I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that that's super underrated piece of advice um, because it's not, as, it's not as sexy as the other advice might be. But I mean, it's so necessary, man. Like if you don't even know, if you don't know how you fit into the world or the, the skill sets or the knowledge or what, what are you bringing? Like what, if you don't have any self-awareness, it's difficult to go about building a network of people that vibe with you, that resonate with you, because you don't even know what resonates with you, right? And, and, and I completely agree. And you hear it coming from the heart when I say that. One way I would put it all together is I would say someone once told me, uh, and they were giving a compliment to a salesperson they met, they knew, and they said that this guy was really good. He is a student of sales. You take that the wrong way and say this guy's still learning. But honestly, to me, that just sort of summed up a lot of things. What you need to do in order to get better at stuff is be introspective about what you're good at, what you're not good at for a while, practice, figure out how to get better and practice, and then go do, mm. right? Yeah. And then keep reiterating. Keep doing that. So the introspection by itself doesn't always help. And that's what gets people frustrated sometimes, you know, analysis paralysis or too much introspection, too much analysis, not enough doing. But if you're doing and you're not introspective, or if you're over-preparing and you're never doing, it doesn't work. It's, yeah. it's that sandwich of things of be, you know, being, thought, being thoughtful and introspective, practicing you know, best practice, and then getting out there and actually doing it. It's that mix of those three things that, that really are important. Yeah, that loop of yes. seriously having introspection and then learning and then taking action and then doing that over and over and over again. Yeah, totally, 100% on the same there. And that, and that ties directly to pitching if, you want, if and when you want to get into that. Because I was going to do it right now. Yeah, perfect, perfect. No, that, that's a perfect transition piece there. So let's talk a little bit about that, especially because here's the reason I wanted to do this, this series, Tom, and we're talking a little bit before I hit the record button about, about why, but I came from a background of like, I don't have any of these connections. I, I'd never had any prior connections or existing connections to anybody in this space, zero, you know, super successful people and any, anything like that. And so when it came down to me trying to raise capital for a software that I was building, I was like, man, I, I know the podcast world now, but this is a whole brand new world that I don't have like really any connections to in, in, in terms of like the same way that I would in the podcasting world that I've built over the last few years, right? Um, so if you're somebody out there right now who's a, who's a listener and you're in the same boat that I was in, Tom, I want you kind of to speak into that about how do you go about cultivating those first few connections? Because, because like if you go look at, if you just go research, right, like how to raise money for your startup online, almost all of the conventional wisdom tells you, reach out to people because it's going to be through relationships. And it's like, well, what if I don't have any people to reach out to? Where do I start then? Yeah, yeah. And, and there are, you kind of can't go wrong in a way, you know, in networking like that, because a lot of it's going to be valuable. But you think about like, who are the principles in this that could provide some perspective? The most obvious one is a fellow entrepreneur. Who's ha maybe has a little bit more experience than you. It doesn't have to be the most successful one. Could be great. Could be someone who didn't succeed. But talking to your peers, good, very valuable, and usually more accessible, right? Because these are everywhere, and they are open to talking to you. Because that's in order to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be able to network and do those things. So, and, and, and then maybe further, if you're thinking about networking and how you do it, asking for advice. And counsel is a very powerful thing to do. When you ask for people's advice, people love to talk and people will appreciate you asking your advice. 
And it's a, it's a less confrontational way to get to know somebody as opposed to trying to sell them something right away or whatever. So I would start there, but then, you know, look, there are linkages between, you know, those people and other investors in the world. There are, you know, connectors within these lawyers and other people that sit within, within this world. You know, each conversation you have, you're going to begin to map out kind of what this looks like. And then when you add in some, some research into, well, what is the structure of the industry? How does it break down? You'll begin to get this picture and start filling in places within it that, that it, uh, it makes sense for you to go. So how important is it to detach yourself from the outcome when you're just trying to get into some of these relationships with people? Completely, right? In a lot of ways. I think the outcome has to sit in the back and say, all right, I'm in this because I want to be successful in raising money. Well, I want to be in this to be successful with my company. Raising money is something I believe I need to do in order to make that happen. However, my, my opinion, at least, is that, you know, the essence of networking is not coming to someone and asking them for something. You know, it's a purposeful conversation where you, I need this from you. I would like to buy this from you. Why won't you give this to me? It's never by its very essence is you're getting to know somebody. You're talking about other things, maybe related, mm, but yeah. other things, and developing a rapport with that person. There's much more to it than that. But to me, if I understood your question, I don't go up to investors and say, if I'm just starting out, hey, I'm raising money. Do you, you know, let me take, give you my pitch and will you invest in me? That's not going to be effective, right? Sure. It's sort of like the used car salesman approach. You get in somebody's face and you beat that way, they tend to back up, right. Right? right? And people tend to invest in people they know, right? So you're gonna get to you're gonna get to know people. And if you ask for advice, you're gonna get far more information out of this person than you otherwise would. And if they like what you're doing, they're gonna let you know. Yeah, right. Or, or possibly maybe recommend you to somebody else who might have a better fit for the thing that you're doing, right? Like it's not the reason I asked the question is just to say that. There's probably a lot more work associated with anything like this than you think that there's going to be. Because if you go from knowing zero investors to all of a sudden you have four Zoom calls booked next week to like get to know some people and none of those work out, you're going to be super discouraged because now the four people that you did know didn't want to do the thing that you wanted them to do. And so now you just are like, well, you know, raising money doesn't work or I can't do this or my yeah. is not good enough or whatever. Two things I would pick up on and what you just said that I think are central to this is fundamentally fundraising is really hard. It just is. There are all these stories we hear about, Hey, they saw somebody wrote it down on a napkin and they gave him a bunch of money. Bullshit. I've never seen it happen once, not once. And even if it does, it's that outlier there that's useless to us. Sure. It does not help us raise money. That, that story out there, the instant thing, it's not. It is a battle. It is difficult. It is life-draining. When you, when you, now, the, the, the good part about it is you're going to start out with some set of skills, and you really can get better, right? That's the, that's the good news. Yeah. But it's hard. Second rule would be then don't fundraise if you don't have to because it's brain damage. It's going to suck the life out of you. It's going to keep doing the things. Second thing I would say, you mentioned fit. There could not be something more important, in my mind at least, than making sure you understand fit in the world of investing. Again, this is one of those things where you can avoid a huge swath of, of you know, wasting of time. You need to be talking to investors and people generally that have fit to what you're doing. I get inbound from 
everybody on all sorts of different things. I, I even have a statement on my LinkedIn, which says, hey, man, I love you, but this is the only stuff I invest in. So, you know, do us both a favor and, you know, find, but I still get things for Caribbean, you know, Caribbean ferries and oil wells. If I've never invested in one of those before, I have no background in it. The likelihood I'm going to be an investor in your startup is nearly zero. Right. You need to be talking to people who fit. Now, fit means a lot of different things. And in there is the thoughtful piece of it. Fit can mean the stage at which you're investing. And fit could mean the vertical that you're in, right? Fit could mean the technology you're in. Fit can mean you, you work, you come from the customer base that they're selling into. If you can understand what perfect fit could be for an investor, right? It's much easier to recognize one when you find them. You won't find that perfect one, but you got to understand fit because, you know, those conversations may be interesting and you may learn something in a small way, but if there isn't fit, you're not going to get any money. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, I love it, man. Is there any, before we wrap up here, any practical advice to finish up with in terms of where where can someone go to look for lists of people? Where can they go to compile findings? Are there, is, is you know, their investor Facebook groups or meetups or LinkedIn groups or websites or, you know, anything like that that you can finish off with, like some practicality that uh, these people can go implement? The answer is there's a lot of it out there, right? Honestly, there are lists of investors that are available. You know, it's not quite as easy as going to find a, you know, a bike store, but there are lists. There is a plethora of advice out there of what the perfect pitch looks like right? If anything, it's the opposite problem. There's too much information out there. Yeah. And what it requires you to do is to be thoughtful about your approach 
and trying to absorb some, go out there and try it out, talk to people, sort through all this stuff, because it's overwhelming, honestly. In terms of specific places, Crunchbase is a great place to look to understand the structure of the industry and who's invested in what. AngelList is another place to go to understand, you know, it's one place people group together. I have not found LinkedIn to be particularly useful in the world of seed stage and venture investing. It's a generalist platform, so it can it can have. There are certainly, you know, Reddit groups and other places like that. Events used to be a fantastic way because personal meeting with somebody at an event is probably the best way, the easiest way to get to know people. It's so non-cold. Now, those have kind of disappeared, right? But there are you know, other ways. So practically speaking, it's about you know, warm introductions. It's about um, looking for fit. And it's about getting out there and actually doing it. That's so, so much gold already here, Tom. I, I wish we had more time, uh, but unfortunately, we've got to wrap things up here and move on into the last segment. So I'm going to have to call the random round. Just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Ready. What profession other than your own do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? Being an author of a book. Being an author of a science fiction book. I'd love to try that. That's a better specification. I like that. If you oh, science fiction, I think I could write one. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be and why? Jesus. I think Trump would be the most annoying person to, to do it, but that might be very interesting. I guess what came to mind in my head there was like, um, you know, immediately with someone like Obama. And not that I'm a huge fan of his, I like him. But in this time, I think it would be very interesting to get his perspective, one-on-one level perspective on just what's going on in the world. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Yeah, I'm pretty boring there. I'm, I'm, I'm old school. I get both the, uh, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal delivered as paper to nice. my front door. I like looking through the paper. I like the dichotomy of those two news sources. Yeah, I go online. I look at things. I do a little bit of podcasts. I do a little bit of that. I absorb information mostly by reading. I love listening too, but I just, I just tend toward the wanting to read things before I engage with people generally. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I'm not a morning person, but I've become one, right? This is that part of personal growth thing. I'm a guy who likes to sleep and would sleep late, but I get up, you know, seven o'clock or something like that, which is sort of early for me, given I kind of run my own life. I've gotten into Peloton and during the, uh, the COVID crisis, because you can do it at home. I'm like, you know, love it, become a Peloton, you know, junkie. Nice. So I'll do that. I've just found it pumps me up, gives me this, you know, great start to my day, gets me, gets me going. I do email and things in the morning, you know, and by mid-morning, I'm starting to take meetings and interacting with people. And then that tends to go to into the early evening. And now that I'm working, you know, out of my home, it then bleeds into family time. Right. And then relaxation through the end of the day, you know, watch a Netflix series or something. What is your go-to pump up song? Rage Against the Machine, Gorilla Radio. Got that really hard beat in the background. That, that kind of stuff I would say for really getting pumped up. If it's more chill and you're just trying to get into the zone, I would go with Take Five, uh, David Brubeck, Jazz. I love the rhythms in there too. To me, that's a bit more kind of zen. What is something that you are just not very good at? I am not very good at cold calling. I am not very good at walking up to people who I don't know, right? And just starting that conversation. It's good to know that that's the case, right? Because then you can figure out all the ways around it. But 
as much as you know, I've done those things and been successful at them, the reality is I don't like doing them. I'm not, I don't think I'm great at it. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Tom, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? So uh, I'm out there, right? The world of venture capital is about trying to find great entrepreneurs. So my email address uh, is great. It's on the website, newark.vc, www.newark.vc. My email address is my initials, tw at newark.vc. Send me a note, send me a deck. I'll take a look at it. I open all my mail. What I would ask is that you recognize, read up a little bit and send me things if you want that are closer to what I deal with, which is B2B software, seed stage, that kind of thing. I'll have the most value to add if it sort of fits within that wheelhouse. Guys, you heard about it right here on the show. Um, I, I cannot stress this enough. We have some amazing, amazing people come on this show and give you their contact information. And so many of you just sit on it and never do anything with it. So reach out to them. Tell them what's up. Tell them you heard about them here on the show. Um, and that's over at uh, newwork.vc. Is that right? Newwork.vc. Yep. Uh, head over there and uh, get to know a little bit about more of the companies that they invest in. And then if something that you're looking at is a fit, then send it over to tw at newwork.vc. Tom, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the show today. Seriously, this was a lot of fun. I, had, I learned a lot and I uh, had a blast chatting with you. Yeah. And now we can talk about your startup after we're off the air, man, because I'm in the business of hearing about uh, good, uh, good ideas. And uh, you know, I certainly know something about the world of audio. Happy to. Happy to. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.